right. Let's open our Bibles this morning. The book of Luke, chapter 12, parables with power. Parables are earthly stories with heavenly meanings. The actual word parable comes from two words, para, which uh, means alongside, balo, uh, which is a word to means place. And so, hence we have the word. You place a story alongside of a principle uh, to illuminate that principle, a parable. Now, many have heard of the story of the rich ruler, the rich fool. And uh, the Bible actually speaks about many fools. And the Bible is not being critical, it's just being truthful. Uh, it's not harsh, even though the, today, if you call someone a fool, it's a very harsh word. Really, it just means that's just a good description. It's a foolish person. The Bible talks a lot about fools. It talks about unbelieving fools. In Psalm 14, verse number 1, the fool has said in his heart, there is no God. April Fool's Day, April 1st. The uh, ignorant fool uh, who despise wisdom. The self-righteous fool whose ways are right in their own eyes. The mocking fool, the Bible says, makes a mock at sin. And so there are many occasions in Scripture where God describes somebody as a fool. This one is a rich fool, and perhaps the greatest fool of all because he had been given so much, and yet his greed just got the best of him. You've heard me tell the story, I think, before. I, I love the story, so I'll send it again. There was an old preacher that was dying. He sent a message for a doctor and a lawyer who were both members of his congregation to come to his home. When they arrived, they were ushered up to his bedroom. And as they entered the room, the preacher held out his hands and mentioned and motioned for them to come and sit on each side of the bed. The preacher grasped their hands, sighed contentedly, and smiled and stared at the ceiling. For a time, nobody said anything, but the doctor and the lawyer were touched and quite flattered, actually, that the old preacher would ask them of anybody to be with him during his final moments. But they were somewhat puzzled because the preacher had never really given them any indication that he had particularly liked either of them. In fact, they remember quite often his many long sermons about greed and covetousness, and they didn't really like those sermons. Finally, the doctor said, Pastor, we're so pleased that you asked us to come, but i got to ask you a question. Why did you ask the two of us, a doctor and a lawyer, to come? The old preacher mustered up some strength and then weakly said, well, Jesus died between two thieves, and that's how I want to go too. <laughs> well, that's not the case really with those who are lawyers and doctors in our church for sure, but uh, we are this morning going to talk about greed, and it's something that is definitely so prevalent. Let's bow for prayer. Father, we pray this morning that you'd help us not to be a thief, but Lord, to be a wise person and certainly not a fool. So many of us, Lord, have so many things, and yet, Lord, help us to use them wisely. We pray in Jesus' name, amen. All right, Luke chapter 12, if you would, please. You can look if you want to in verse number one. I don't think we have it on the PowerPoint here, but Jesus is talking to a group. And this is a pretty good-sized group now. He begins by speaking to them about false religion, and he asks each of them to look deeply into their heart and to see what they're actually trusting to get them to heaven. And he reminds them that the doctrine of these Pharisees is fatal. If you're trusting in that false doctrine, you're in trouble. 
That is the original fatal attraction for sure. He said the message that you need to have is that Jesus and Christ alone can be your Savior. Sad, however, many were beginning to reject Him at this point in the ministry, and they were following a false gospel. Jesus warned them. He said that Satan will use false doctrine to deceive you. He will use the immaterial world of philosophies and thoughts and concepts. But not only does Satan use the immaterial world, he also uses the material world. And that's our story today. This man in our message today is the classic hedonist. He is material man. And that's why we're calling this man the materialist. And so if we're going to divide up this uh, message, let's look at it. Verse number 13, we find the materialist wish. The materialist wish. All right, let's go to verse 13. And in fact, let's read verses 13, 14, and 15 together. All right, uh, here out of the King James Version. Ready, begin. And one of the company said unto him, Master, speak to my brother, that he divide the inheritance with me. And he said unto him, Man, who made me a judge or a divider over you? And he said unto them, Take heed and beware of covetousness. For a man's life consisteth not in the abundance of the things which he possesseth. Now this particular fellow was listening to Jesus. He heard him talk about doctrine, heard him talk about this and that, heaven and salvation and God. And frankly, he wasn't really too interested. In fact, he might say he was bored. Because this guy wanted something more he could wrap his mind around, something he could sink his teeth into. He was interested in some uh, real living, you know. Uh, I want to know stuff about my life. This was Macho Man. He was interested in trucks and hunting, or maybe he was Metro Man, you know. He was into his little manicures and uh, his hairdos and his workouts. No, I'm going to call him Material Man because that's what he was all about. He was about this life. And so Jesus stops to deal with this matter and says, this is some situation you've got to deal with. The man just can't wait for Jesus to stop. As soon as Jesus stops uh, talking, he pipes up, Master, tell my brother to divide the family inheritance with me. He identifies Jesus uh, nice. He calls him master, which simply means teacher, or as they call him, rabbi. And so he's respectful, at least. He says, Rabbi, I want you to deal with this situation. Actually, not a question out of might be asked about that time, because back in that day, rabbis would often deal with uh, civil matters, especially in the Jewish community. And so uh, he perhaps pointed at his brother about this moment, and he felt like he wasn't getting what he deserved. Let me just put a footnote there. Thank God we don't get what we deserve, amen. But, but this brother felt like he wasn't getting what he deserved. And so he looks at the master, Rabbi, Rabbi, tell my brother to give me what I deserve. Now, we don't know if it was his older brother, which likely was, because uh, it was the elder brother, according to the book of Deuteronomy, also the book of Numbers, that would often uh, get uh, the family's resources when the father passed away, at least a double portion. He was responsible to make sure that everybody else uh, was taken care of, and he kind of slipped into the patriarch of the family. Of course, by this point in 
Jewish history, uh, they weren't following much of the Old Testament laws. At least they only followed what they wanted to and whatever these uh, crazy religious uh, false teachers were telling them. But uh, he comes to Jesus, and whether he's the younger brother, he might even been the older brother. Maybe somehow the younger brother had stolen some money or whatever the case was, but here they were. And uh, he looks to Jesus, and he said, tell him. He didn't ask him. He didn't say, uh, would you consider this? Uh, he said, tell him. You just tell him right now. And so Jesus wasn't especially blessed by that kind of talk. Verse 14, and so he said unto him, man, not a very warm greeting really. Uh, it's kind of like just telling someone sir or mister, you know, kind of a, uh, he just said, who made me a judge or a divider over you? Now let me just sum that up a little bit. Jesus basically said, here's the deal. My kingdom is not of this world. Your issues are of this world. I know that your biggest concern is you get your money, but he said, I've got bigger things to worry about than your bank balance, and I am not a collection company, and so I'm not really going to get involved with you and your brother. And I think Jesus, in so doing, was simply saying this. He was saying, discernment tells me, however, that there's a bigger issue at play here, and I think that's very much as he tells the story. Look at verse 15. And so he, Christ, said unto them, the whole people. So he first addresses the man, kind of calls him on the carpet in, in no uncertain terms, not mean, just very forthright, very, very direct. He said, I'm not going to deal with that. That's your situation. You're going to have to deal with that. But he said to everybody, he said, now, I want you to take heed and beware of covetousness. And so I think he pretty much... Uh, gave his opinion of what was going on in this man's heart. It says he turns to them, and he tells them to take heed, which simply means to guard themselves. And he brings up a very touchy subject, a subject that, frankly, it's not always easy to be able to identify, and that is the subject of covetousness. What is covetousness? Is it wanting something? No, I don't think wanting something is a bad thing. Uh, the Bible often talks about wanting different things. It just talks about wanting those better gifts, those good gifts. Here, uh, what is covetousness? It is, if you're writing a definition down, it would be an inordinate thirst for riches or things or stuff, material things. Now, we're not talking about a healthy desire for improvement in your life. Nothing wrong with having nice things for sure. The temple, of course, was an amazing, beautiful place, and so nothing wrong with having nice things or beautiful things. But that's not what Jesus is talking about, but it's that grasping, as the word is, that inordinate thirst, that insatiable thirst for more, for more, for more, that covetousness. It's like drinking salt water. The more you drink, the more you have to have. The more you drink, the thirstier you become. And so he's saying it's a never-ending thing here if you get into this. And I will hasten to say again that Jesus is not condemning the amount people have. He's condemning the attitude they have. Job was very wealthy and godly. Joseph of Arimathea, whose tomb Jesus was laid in, was wealthy 
and godly. The New Testament church was founded for the most part in wealthy people's homes because their homes were big enough to be able to have a, a good number, 30, 40, 50 people in. And so certainly long, nothing wrong with having a big, large, beautiful estate. That's not what Jesus is talking about. What he's talking about is that thirst, that inordinate thirst, that hunger that you're, you've got to have more stuff. And then Jesus issues these words, for a man's life consisteth not in the abundance, and that word abundance is a key to this whole thing, abundance, just this, this, uh, this just loading up, this just abundant, abundant things, abundance of things which he possesses. The sad thing is that we think we possess these things, but truth is our things begin to possess us. But notice what he says here. He said, you will never get Zoe from the material world. And he uses a unique uh, Greek word there. The typical Greek word for life is bio. You've heard that before. It's the word we get biology from, which is the study of life. It just simply means something that's alive as opposed to dead, the study of life. He said, but this word Zoe is the essence of life, whereas bio is just alive and not dead. Zoe is the zest of life. It is the smells, the sights, the sounds, the feels of life, and all that makes really life just something that's good. And Jesus said, you know, you'll never get Zoe. They understood what he was saying. He was saying, you're never going to really get real life, real joy, real happiness, real fulfillment from things. It just doesn't work that way. Jesus here reminds them to keep a sanctified ambivalence to all of the stuff that's in their life. Utilize it, but don't idolize it. Look at chapter 4 of the book of Philippians. I love what Paul said. I know both how to be abased and I know how to abound. And I like that passage because, you know, as American Christians, frankly, we abound. I mean, even... Even the poorest among us really taken 90% of the world, we would be very rich. And so sometimes you feel guilty abounding. Frankly, I do. I'll just be honest with you. You feel guilty having a nice car to drive or a nice home or air conditioning. You feel guilty about being able to go out to eat and all those things. But listen to what Paul said. He said, I learned how to abound. And uh, you'd say, well, Boy, that doesn't seem real hard. Honestly, it's sometimes more challenging than you might imagine to learn how to enjoy the things that God gives you without idolizing them, utilizing, but not idolizing, appreciative, but not worshiping those things, just grateful, but not grabbing. God says to be able to just be thankful, to abound. And Paul said, I learned how to abound. Have we learned how to abound without having to have more, without having to have more, without being a material man? Paul made it clear he was just as happy to be abased as he was to abound. And the truth is, that's the challenge. I mean, I think some Christians are better Christians when they're abased. We need to learn to be able to be a good Christian even when we abound. How do you do that? You just hold the things that you have very loosely. You give them to the Lord and you say, Lord, 
they're yours. If I have them, great. If I don't have them, you're still the same great God. I love you. You're still my God. That's what he's saying here. Jesus is saying, can you be content without things? Can you be happy with the things that you have? There was a Sunday school teacher who asked a group of children if they could quote the entire 23rd Psalm. A little four-year-old girl was among those, and she raised her hand, and she said, I can quote the 23rd Psalm. The teacher, obviously skeptical, asked if she could really quote the whole Psalm. A little girl came to the podium, faced the class, made a little bow, and said, the Lord is my shepherd. That's all I want. <laughs> and then she bowed again and sat back down. Now, I think she overlooked a few verses, maybe misquoted a verse, but you know what? She pretty much had it right. The Lord is my shepherd. That's all I want. The Lord is my shepherd. That's all I want. And that's what Jesus was uh, issuing out a command here. He was saying, what is it that you want in your life? The materialist wish. What was his wish? Now notice the materialist wealth, verses 16 and 17. And so now he uses this real life situation to tell a parable. He's going to tell a story alongside a principle. And he spake a parable unto them, saying, The ground of a certain man, rich man, brought forth plentifully. And so he tells the story of a very prosperous man who has an agricultural business. And he has a bumper crop. Not like our poor cherry farmers here in this area who got so devastated this year or by many of the corn farmers back in the Midwest with all the floods. No, this was a prosperous year. I mean, he absolutely had a bang-up crop. I mean, it just was coming in everywhere. Now, there's nothing wrong with having a good crop. And Jesus didn't condemn the man for having this wonderful out pouring of all the things that were coming into his life. No dishonesty here. He didn't say the man was immoral. And I know in some circles, people feel like if you're rich, you got to be, you know, uh, doing something wrong, but that's not the case. Here, this man was just a successful businessman. In fact, the Bible says he had brought forth plentifully. It's an interesting Greek word there. It's the Greek word euphorio, which we get our word euphoria from. That means he had a crop that was making him have euphoria. I mean, he was just out of his mind with excitement. He couldn't believe the, the return on his money. I mean, this was a best year ever. And uh, he decided to sit down and think about what he needed to do. And once he started thinking, his material mind began to come forth. Look at verse 17. And he thought within himself saying, what shall I do? Because I have no room where to bestow my fruits. Still a reasonable question. Nothing wrong, nothing off color, nothing illegal, nothing unbiblical here at this moment. What do I do with the massive storage? I mean, I've get the, I mean, this massive crop of it. What should I do? And so he's thinking, now, could I, I could build things. I could Maybe I could, uh, I could build more storage for my uh, things that I have. And, but if I, if I build something, I'm going to take good crop land. So I need to kind of think about that. So um, he's kind of noodling here and wondering. 
I like what Billy Graham said. He said the Bible warns that money, late Billy Graham said the Bible warns that money cannot buy happiness. Money cannot buy true pleasure. Money cannot buy peace of heart, and money cannot buy an entrance into the kingdom of God. Speaking about this rich fool, if God has given you much, dedicate your possessions to Christ because someday you will have to give account for every penny you spent. And I like what he adds. The IRS wants to know how you spent your money, but nothing compared to what God is going to do. All right, the materialist wish, the materialist wealth. And so he's get this amazing crop, nothing wrong with that. He decides he's got to store it somehow. At least he thinks he has to store it. And so now what comes next? We find his will, the materialist will, verses 18 and 19. After thinking, after putting on his material mindset, he finally comes up with a plan. Read verse 18. And he said, this will I do. I will pull down my, my barns and build greater. And there will I bestow all my fruits and my goods. Wow. That guy has a real issue. I mean, notice all the eyes, all the my's. Now we are getting to the bottom of the situation here. In this imaginary story, he sells, uh, he could sell his crop, but no, if he sells the crop, he'll flood the market, prices go down, the bumper crop really won't meet anything, and so he decides to store it and then let it out as he can so he can maybe control the market prices. Here we have a Middle Eastern sheik who has something in his hands, maybe oil, <laughs> And uh, he is going to make sure that the market doesn't get flooded. And so he calls it not only the fruits of the crop, but if you'll notice the verse carefully, he said at the last part of that verse, I will bestore all my fruits and my goods. So now not only is he going to put make a storage unit for his crop, now he decides he's got to put his goods in there. He's got some stuff, and i got to put them in there. Have you ever realized what's happened in America over the last 40 or 50 years with all these storage units coming up everywhere? I mean, back in the day, I mean, you can go uh, into a little part of Stockton or a little part of Lodi, and you'll find these homes that were built 1940, 1930, and many of them don't even have a garage. may have a carport, maybe. You'd say, well, why did they make a home without a garage? Because back then, folks, people just didn't have as much stuff. And now every home was built with a garage, but nobody ever puts their cars in the garage because they've got so much stuff in the garage. I was reading about storage units, and they're, they're everywhere. They were saying that there are more storage units in America than there are McDonald's. It is a, it is a $30 billion a year business, and Americans are the absolute worst at this. They say that two-thirds of the people who have a storage unit also have a garage at their home. I mean to tell you, we are just filling up storage units with stuff. And uh, I know I'm going to make some of you feel guilty here this morning, but uh, the fact is we are, we just have, we got so much stuff, we just, we got to store it somewhere. We're just obsessed with our stuff. That's this fellow. He needed to put it, and this was the original storage unit right here. We think storage units are about 50, 60 years old in America. No, they're good back a couple thousand years. But we certainly see a, a mindset into this man's eyes. 
<clears throat> into this man's uh, thinking. <coughs> Excuse me. So, I'm asking myself the question, that's the best he could come up with? I've got this amazing crop, <coughs> far more than I'll need. So what's the best thing to do? Build a storage unit and store it. Okay, let me ask you a question, buddy. Weren't there any poor people in your community that might have been able to use that food? Or maybe couldn't have you sold at least some of it and maybe uh, given it to uh, a college over there, a college for preachers? Or couldn't have you maybe given it to some missionary to go to a foreign land and preach the gospel? Couldn't have you built a synagogue or something? But no, not this fellow. I mean, nothing outward came into this guy's brain. It just was all, I'm going to suck it away. <clears throat> you never know when I might need it. Can I get a glass of water, please? <clears throat> Verse 19, and I will say to my soul, soul, thou hast much goods laid up for many years. Take thine ease, eat, drink, and be merry. Now, notice what it said. <clears throat> he said to his soul. Now, if he had said to his wife, honey, we've got a lot of stuff. Man, I mean, we've got this amazing crop this year. <clears throat> but it doesn't say he said to his wife. It says he said to his soul. Maybe he could have said, <clears throat> he said to his family, gathered his family together. Maybe he could have said, I went to my pastor and I said to my pastor, hey, what can I do with this? Thank you. All right. We, pastor, you remember Brother Hayden? He used to go, the, when he, someone bring him a glass of water, he'd stand there like this. <laughs> so... But he would, would uh, look at that. <coughs> Got a tickle down my throat here. So anyway, he could have said, <clears throat> I, uh, uh, he could have said, honey, what should we do with this? Or pastor, do you have any ideas of what I can do with this great uh, crop I have? No. He, uh, he issues out the uh, hedonist uh, bromide that we all listen to. Eat, drink, and be merry. Notice what it says. He said to his soul. He talks to himself. I mean, in uh, modern day language, this man is narcissistic. Narciss was a Greek god who uh, looked in a pool of water. He saw his own reflection, and he fell in love with himself. That's why we call people narcissistic when they're in love with themselves. And this man, notice the word soul, actually is singular in the Greek language. He did not talk to anybody. He didn't care what his wife thought, didn't care what his family, didn't care what anybody in the community thought. This man's total thinking was with himself. His wish, his wealth, his will, all about himself. Now finally, his woe. Look at verse number 20. And there's always a woe when you have that kind of a wish. You've got to pay the bill. Verse 20, but God said unto him, thou fool, 
This night thou soul shall be required of thee. Then who shall these things be which thou hast provided? You fool. It's an interesting word. That word fool comes from two words, ah, which means no, and friend, uh, which actually has to do with the, the chest. A phrenologist is someone who uh, works in that area, but uh, because the, in the Hebrew mind, uh, or the Hebrew way of thinking, the mind was actually in the heart. And so the word means uh, no thinking. <laughs> That's what a fool. You're just so focused on the material, you are not thinking about anything other than that. He said, your life is going to be required of thee. Your life is going to be required of thee. And that's what the Bible says is going to happen. We're all going to have to go before God, and it's going to be required. What we think in our life is going to be required of us. And let me remind each of us, we're going to stand before God. And you will stand by yourself. You're not going to stand with your wife or your children or your parents. You're not going to stand with me. The Bible says every man will give account of himself to the Lord. And so it says here, uh, in this verse, it says, thou fool, thou not thinking person, this night, it's surprising how quick the accounting you're going to have to give to the Lord is. It will be required. There's no option. Sometimes people think, oh, well, and I'll just take my chances. Well, it's not going to take a chance. It's going to happen. You are going to stand before God. It is required. Then he said, let me just tell you about your stuff. And he, the materialist man, worst nightmare. These things that you've been all interested in, they're going to be given to somebody else. Then who shall all these things be? I love what Solomon said in Ecclesiastes chapter 2 and verse 18. Yea, I hated all my labor which I had taken under the sun, because I should leave it unto the man that shall be after me. Can you imagine how terrible it would feel to work all your life and to put all your time and energy into some beautiful estate, and then the minute you die, it goes to some crazy person? I mean, that's just a terrible feeling. And that's why God said, come on, it's nothing wrong with having nice stuff, but make sure that it's all dedicated to the Lord for His honor, for His glory. Why was this material man a fool? For three reasons, at least. First of all, because of his attitude towards God. No place did he thank God for the crop. No place did he say, God, thank you for this amazing, bountiful blessing. There was no thanksgiving service. He had a terrible attitude towards God, his attitude also towards others. He absolutely ignored people. Totally, 100% ignored his family, ignored the community, ignored the needs that were around him. He had no care for others. It said that there was a chairman of a community chair charity that once called on a notorious miser. <clears throat> Sir, said the chairman of the local charity, our records show that despite your wealth, you've never once given to our fund. The miser replied, well, do your records show that I have an elderly mother that was left penniless when my father died? Well, no. Well, do your records show that I have a disabled brother who is also unable to work? Well, do your records show that I have a widowed sister with small children who can barely make ends meet? No, sir, replied the embarrassed volunteer. Our, our records don't show any of those things. Well, said the miser, I don't give anything to them, so why should I give anything to you? 
And that's really the mind of a lot of people. You know, I don't care about anybody. Why should I care about that charity? And number three, his attitude towards eternal life. I mean, this guy was all about retirement. Eat, drink, be merry. You've got goods laid up for many years. Retire early. Be financially independent. What's that called? Fire? Is that what it's called? Financial independence, retire early. The fire people. That's what I want. Why? I mean, I'm all for being frugal. I'm all for wise uh, investments, all for all that kind of stuff. But the fact is, why? What's the point? If there's a good point for it, yes, amen. But if there's not a good point for it, if it's just to be able to say, I'm going to take it easy on the rest of my life. Jeremiah, the great prophet, said it best in Jeremiah chapter 9, verse 23 and 24, thus saith the Lord. I love that statement, don't you? Thus saith the Lord. Let not the wise man glory in his wisdom, neither let the mighty man glory in his might. Let not the rich man glory in his riches, but let him that glory, glory in this, that he understandeth and knoweth me that I am the Lord. And if we live as though there's no eternity, if we live as though this life is heaven and retirement is just a form of heaven, we are in sad place. And that's what Jesus said to this man, what a woe is coming to you. And then verse 21, the materialist wisdom. His wish, his wealth, his will, and the woe, and finally his wisdom. The application of the story, you need to wise up, brother. You need to wise up, sir. Verse 21, so is he that layeth up treasure for himself and is not rich towards God. My friend, you are a fool. You are a fool if you think that you're not going to face God. You are a fool if you think you're not going to have to give account for all these riches that were given to you. I blessed you. I gave you a great brain. I gave you opportunities to let you be born into this particular family, this particular area. I brought this great crop. I did all of this for you, and you think you're not going to have to give account for it? My friend, you need to think again. If we haven't used what God gives you for His glory, then we are poor in eternal currency. I remember being a child and getting to play Monopoly. Everybody's got a different Monopoly strategy. I guess there's actually big Monopoly tournaments. People really get into that stuff. But I used to, I remember I used to take all my money and put it in one pile. Now there's other people I played with. I mean, they were just neat little accountant type people. You know, they had the ones, the five, the tens, the 20, the fifties. I put it all in one pile so nobody could see how much money I had. I was kind of a secretive kind of guy. And uh, other people, they wanted, you know, uh, they wanted, they wanted those, uh, those hotels on every place. I wanted Broadway and Park Place. I wanted those best properties, you know. Some people wanted the utilities. Everybody's got a different monopoly strategy. I never hardly won, but uh, I don't know what it was. Whatever my plan was, surely didn't work. But, uh, but uh, some people, I don't know how, and I could never see how they could win by buying those cheap properties, but they did it. And, uh, but you know what? Monopoly money. Imagine me going out and taking that monopoly money and walking up to a store and say, I want a Starbucks here. They'd say, oh, that's monopoly money. Imagine then me going to heaven with earthly money saying, God, here's my money. God said, that's monopoly money. That doesn't spend up here, brother. That doesn't spend up here. And that's what he's telling him here. He said, it doesn't spend in heaven. You need to make sure that you get the eternal viewpoint. 
How foolish to be a material man, selfish and greedy. He said, if God's given you more than you need, what is your first thought? <clears throat> now, I want you to ask yourself the question. As I honestly ask myself that same question this week. So the guy gets blessed. I mean, he's really blessed. Nothing wrong with that. Nothing illegal. Nothing. We don't get any indication he did the, anything wrong. Or he, just was, he just had a great crop, a great businessman. The problem came when he started up here. He got all these blessings, and his first thought was, barns. I need barns. No, I need bigger barns. Notice he decided to build tall barns. He wanted big ones because he wanted to use as little footprint of land he could. So just, I just big it taller. So that way I can have more land for my crop. He's, he's really smart. He's, man, I'm telling you what. I'm going to build the biggest barn around. Um, <laughs> um, how about sharing some of it with the community? Oh, no, 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 no. I, I, you never know what's going to happen in the future. Yeah, I got to store it. I mean, there's a certain kind of lifestyle I deserve in my retirement, and I, I got I to gotta have, have enough money for that. Bigger barns, the, the first storage units right here in Luke chapter 12. I'm going to store it. I'm going to make it big. What is the first concept that's going to happen when you get more stuff? Now, for many people, we kind of live an existence. We just kind of go through life. Maybe we might rise up to middle class, maybe even a little bit more than that. And that's a wonderful life. Praise God for it. But if you do get blessed, and perhaps you have hundreds or maybe even millions, my question is this. Are you making barns? Or are you thinking eternally? Is it all about barns or is it all about something else? Folks, uh, God will take care of us. And we want to make sure that we have enough. And I, nothing wrong with any of that. Being wise, it's certainly all good. But what can I do? This fellow did not even consider what he could have done with all of that money. That's why he was a fool. He wasn't a fool because he was rich. He wasn't a fool because he had been blessed. He wasn't a fool because he had had so much things in his life. He was a fool with what he did with it. That's the issue. I got to thinking this week, what would happen if even the people that were in our church, and I, I'm going to say we have the most giving, I am so grateful for this church, and I am so proud of you, and I, and I don't want to condemn anybody here, but I would say this, what would happen if a church of four or 500 people or 600 people, what would happen if all the money that we had, we'd make sure we have arrangements and, you know, kids get a whatever amount that they need to get that's unreasonable, whatever. Okay. Imagine what would happen if hundreds of thousands, no millions, no, let's, what would imagine if tens of millions were available for the Lord's work? I got to thinking about the missionaries we could just send out right from our church. I got thinking about the staff that we could hire that would go out and knock on doors, who would teach, have Bible studies, do this. I began to think about the scholarships we could have at the school, the staff we could have at the school, the facilities we could provide for all these beautiful children. I thought about the, uh, the outreach we could do through media. I mean, I got to thinking, un but what would happen if we had... 
you know, two or three or four or five million dollars a year to work with. And man, so that, wow, how exciting. And I thought, got to thinking, man, that is, that is a thrill. And I'm so grateful for people who give and people here give tens of thousands a year and some hundreds, praise God for you. And, uh, and I may God bless you and continue this to prosper you so that we can make something like that happen because uh, there are so many things that can be done eternally. We must not think, well, you know, and maybe I, I wanted to say this because I don't want anybody to think, well, what does the church need? I mean, you know, what do they need with a million dollars? My friend, I don't get up here and tell everybody because we got to do what we just got to do you know, for beginning here. But I mean, there is so much we can do. I'm just thinking, man, well, that'd be amazing if we could do this and we could do that. It'd be all used for God's glory. And it would be so, you would be so blessed. And you'd have, you wouldn't have monopoly money when you die. You'd have eternal money that spends in heaven. And like we talked about a few weeks ago in Luke chapter 16, it would be waiting for you when you get there. You'd send it on ahead. That's what he is saying here. I'm not asking everybody to be the widow and throw your whole living into the kingdom of God. And that's what you want to do. Amen. But I'm just saying, you know, let's make sure that we have our eyes on the most important things, God's work. Let's not be a material man. Let's be God's man. You know, today everybody wants different kinds of charge cards and credit cards. And if you can get a gold card, it's better than a, you know, the regular card. And if you can get a platinum card, it's better than a gold card. I read this this week. Some clever Christian wrote this and I'll share it with you. What you should get is the master's card. Let me tell you about it. There's no finances, charges on the master's card. No payments due, completely prepaid, no expiration. I couldn't afford it, so Jesus stepped in and paid it for me. My name is written on the card for all to see, accessible 24 hours a day from anywhere in the world. The master's card has so many benefits, it's hard to list them all. The master's card gives you access to many members-only benefits. Unlimited grace? There's no preset limit to the amount of grace you receive from your master's card. Master's card, unlimited love. It has the highest rates I've ever found when it comes to love, joy, lasting peace, and dependability. Another great thing about your master's card is it never expires. Once you're a member, you're a member for life, eternal life, that is. And you know, membership has its privileges. <laughs> your credit rating? Ah, well, if you're a sinner, you qualify, but don't delay. This great offer won't last forever, but the benefits will. Don't leave home without it. The master's card. <laughs> I love it. And may God have all of us here today say, you know what? The, the biggest credit rating I want is that credit rating with God. Let's all bow for a word of prayer.